you should experience if you haven't and is something that you can look back at as kind of like a meme game but at the end of the day no one's going to buy a saturn for sonic r because it's it's shit whenever (laughs) whenever people ask like the question like when people complain about the sonic and sega all-stars racing series which amazing kart racing series um they always they complain they're like why isn't sonic running it's dumb i'm like sonic's not running because they tried that once and it was bad (laughs) like yeah they they know if you played sonic r you know why he is not running and they even hand they hand wave it in the manual too for uh sonic uh, sonic and sega all-star racing because they actually make a point of stating the reason sonic's in a car is because he wants to give everyone else a fair chance yeah see that's 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 smart world building i don't care what anyone says hey guys i'm bill a one-time instagram blogger and now a podcaster and i'm alex the chaotic neutral and together we are the gaming and collecting podcast a brother sister duo that talks about gaming and also anime don't forget the collecting here sometimes i forget it we're just a nostalgia podcast at this point but anyways guys thanks for joining us as we discuss the games that shaped us so normally i do my how you been thing but we actually have a guest this time uh chris from retro hangover is joining us for this podcast how you doing chris i'm doing okay uh i I'm a little upset. I mean, how I've been is a question I would like to Bill. Now I'm now I'm upset. But uh well, I, I decided for cuz I got to, I got I get kind of bad with blindsiding the guests with that every time they join, so I figured I'd introduce them and then I'd ask how you guys been <laughs> shortly after. <laughs> see, I don't know, see, it's kind of fun though. Well, what happened was Josh completely like broke us when I we had him on and like I, I've just never been really? able to pop it. Oh, oh, he like Which, when when we had Josh on his res- literal response was just a pause and then it just a who me <laughs> and then it just like completely <laughs> broke all of us. <laughs> I've just never been able to top that. Ah, oh, Josh is great. Yeah, but yeah, it's great to be back. I am happy to be talking about the topic at hand today, a system that is far superior to the N64, and I think that is entirely relevant, and I'm making good points with Alex by saying that. So I am happy. Already best guest we've ever had. (laughs) There we go. I'm happy to be here today, Bill. I'm happy to be here, Alex, as well. Thank you so much for having me. Just picturing Alex and Josh confusing that poor lady at Retro World again over the goddamn N64 Jaguar. I mean, I was just, you know, saying straight facts, and Josh just didn't want to accept the truth, you know? But it's okay. He, I know deep down he knows the N64 is garbage and the Jaguar is where it's at. But he Thanks. just doesn't want to admit it. Does the N64 have Rayman? No, it does not. Exactly. The yeah. N64 has Superman 64. That game is garbage. <laughs> and Buck Bumble also the Jaguar, garbage. The Jaguar has more than one shmup. Exactly. That's true. That yeah. is true. It's also got... um. Attack of the Mutant Penguins, but that's a, yes. <laughs> that's a story for another day. I mean, hey, look, we don't got to talk about every Jaguar game right now, right? That's that's, that's another yeah. podcast. That's yeah. for when Alex eventually starts the Jaguar experience, just to be a troll. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not informed at all. It's just me shitting on the N64 every time. 
It's not hard to do. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's wow. exactly, that would make for entertaining content. You know what? I'm going to make a rank list of our guests and you're S tier. <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so usually before we get into our topic, we usually kind of go over how, how's life been? It's been, uh, been kind of shitty <laughs> this week like my uh my mustang flooded last friday oh, that was yeah that happened <laughs> that sucked um this the carpet is still wet in it and i'm kind of concerned that there's mold now but other than that it's been a relatively quiet week how about you alex uh i went to a conference this week for work which was very interesting and informative uh, but now I'm back at work today, and it's like, I had so many emails, and I was like, I was gone for two days! Why do I have a hundred emails? Oh, it was very overwhelming. I spent, like, uh, like the first half of my day just going through emails and answering emails, and I was like, why? Why do I have to do this? So, that was my morning, and then I threw my back out at work. Well, kind of last night and at work today, so... My back really hurts, and I'm sad. I'm, I'm going to go hear. cry in the corner now. Goodbye. It was a good podcast. Just uh, get some salon pass. You'll feel you'll feel great. She's she's just doing a bit. <laughs> She'll be fine. Um, how you been? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not doing a bit. My back does hurt. <laughs> so mean to me. That's it. I'm quitting the podcast for the fiftieth time. <laughs> that that might be the charm. She always she, she quits is. every episode, but she always comes back like five <laughs> minutes later. Um, before Alex interrupted, how how you been, Chris? Otherwise, <laughs> I don't know if I can compete. Uh, my Mustang did not flood, mostly because I do not have a Mustang. Uh, I guess lately it's just. I don't know. It's, I've been playing a game. I, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Dark Souls. And uh, yeah. this game is very frustrating, yet at the same time, very rewarding. I keep I'm like allured to it. It keeps drawing me back. And I at the same time feel like there's no reason for me to be drawn to it because there's a lot of bullshit in it. And that's that's pretty much my life because I have to get ready to record an episode about this game and i know it's a long game and so i go to work and i just kind of waste my life because there's not really a lot to do there until there is and then when there is it's a bunch of people saying stupid stuff which i'm sure sounds like alex can relate to at the very least i'm sure yeah. you too you can as well uh bill i got paid but, to dig around in the trash today so <laughs> i mean that's fair i got i, what I got paid yeah I get paid to just sit there and stare at a computer the entire day and, and talk on Discord and wonder if I'm doing anything. So that's, I mean, that's just regular work. I can't bitch because I am getting paid to do relatively nothing. So when I get out into the real world, once I retire from my Navy life, I'm, I'm quite afraid because I think there's going to be an expectation for me to do something. And I don't <laughs> know if I can, I can cope with that quite yet. And so that's, that's something I'm going to have to learn with it, learn at some yeah. point can can i be a regular functioning person in the adult world i have no idea see that was the shock i went through when i went from being a cnc machinist to a manual machinist when i was running cnc machines all i did was push buttons and just play on my phone all day now i actually have to do things that i can barely touch my phone if ever yes. just don't put your don't don't put your arm in there and if you're losing a lot of weight that's usually a, a bad sign 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess to give context on the dinging in the trash thing, we have these mold parts. He for, just does uh, it for fun. No, this wasn't. He likes fun. to look for golf balls in there. More, in more mold. Uh, not not yeah. different mold. Uh, this is like golf oh, ball mold, yeah. molds to to make the uh, golf balls. Um, is that with a U? M O L D, like a kind of like a mold for uh, like say you're making a like a plastic mold. Right, right, right. Okay, I thought I had a U for some reason. Anyway, continue. I'm nah. Sorry. Um, basically, there's these parts that we have to replace on them and. Rather than buying the complete assemblies to make these one specific part, they only buy the one piece that we can't make in-house, and the they'd rather piece. have me dig for the bad ones out of the trash to salvage this other part off of them so we can just reuse it. And I was like, you know, you could have put these aside so I didn't have to dig in a giant barrel full of metal sharp shit. But whatever. It's fine. I got paid. It was a pirate. He was looking like, for the one piece. <laughs> the one piece like I was you're... missing. <laughs> oh, oh, yes. <laughs> it's a One Piece Odyssey. Yes. I need to finish that. Anyways, Bill, continue. <laughs> I was waiting for her to bring up One Piece. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's just it's typical inevitable. company saving money, but mm. employees not thinking ahead, and so it makes other employees' life a pain. But, oh, well. It happens. Now I have to like de-rustify them though, and that, that involves just like sandpapering them for like hours. So Wait. I'm gonna spend the majority of tomorrow on a lathe just like brushing rust off of these metal parts. Didn't didn't you say you you reach your hand into sharp rust objects? Like, do you have to get tetanus shots on the reg? Oh, I had gloves on. I was fine. Gloves, gloves sure. will protect yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, they uh they had like uh. Like a 4D, 4D two saving throw or something like that. I don't know. I didn't get cut, so I'm 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 pretty sure I'm fine. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was that was my day today. <laughs> if you have lockjaw in a, in a few weeks, it's not because of that. You know, no. the, before we get into our topic, the only other thing I want to bring up is, um, it, it's Halloween season now, so everyone's doing the spooky games, except for me and Alex, because we just ignore that until, um the week of Halloween we do a Halloween episode, but, uh, are you Mormon? Oh, no, I just, uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm morbid. And I was like, wouldn't that make us want a new more spooky? <laughs> no, it's more just that we, we record so far in advance that, uh, we, we already missed like two weeks of Halloween a month. Uh, yeah. It's more of, uh, we're not great at planning. We more just go, oh, that might be fun. Let's do that. And then we podcast about it. Well, I was I was going to say, like, Oops. over on our, our other show, um, I was doing a uh, a poll involving the next uh, game we're going to be talking about for a certain console. And I did not under I did not expect the love for D that there is out there. Everyone loves the D. I get I mean. I'd say so, but that game is like cannibalism, the game. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about that one, though, because I, I honestly like I, I was thinking it was going to be alone in the dark. And I'm like, I, I don't want to talk about alone in the dark right now. I just did like a year ago. So, <laughs> uh, shameless plug to a retro hangover. Um, yeah, go check out that episode. Yeah, it's great. It, it did really well, too, by the way. I'm glad to hear that was a fun one. That was really uh, fun. Um, before we bore Alex, though, I figure we should what? probably get it get into our topic. <laughs> no. So, 
Um, we've done a bunch of console retrospectives in the past, and they've been kind of fun for the most part. Um, sometimes, kind of. like, well, other than the N64 <laughs> one where I found out Alex has a hatred for the thing. Well, no, um, they've all been fun except for the N64. That's the only one that wasn't fun. Yeah. <laughs> that one made me angry. Um, and one of the ones, so out of all the consoles I really wanted to talk about for the show, like, the one that I truly, like, was looking forward to was the Saturn. And I figured we'd bring Chris on for this one, because Chris is probably one of the biggest Saturn fans I know in the whole podcasting community. Love and it. because of the fact also that me and Alex essentially kind of missed the Saturn when it was relevant, I figured we should bring in somebody who actually, like, like you had one as a back in the day, right? Yeah, I had one back in the day. I did. Yes. Okay. I figured <laughs> that, that would have been really awkward if you didn't. But um, you were like, no, I've only played it last week. <laughs> I, figured, <laughs> I figured we should bring someone on who actually has experience with the console, like from back when it was actually relevant. And hey, I, I, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos in the past year. And I can say like my experience with the Saturn is great. I'm kidding, by the way. That's fair. <laughs> but I mean, that that was my main reasoning for um, uh, bringing, uh, bringing in guests for these episodes, because like for, for the most part, we've been doing the console retrospectives uh, solo, and the whole gimmick with them has been I've been the one that knows stuff, and I've been kind of introducing Alex to the uh, consoles. Um, but it's more fun if we have more people to bounce off of for these. So... I figure, actually, to start, Chris, how about you give your uh, history with the Saturn? Yeah, sure. So, I did not... I, I don't remember the Saturn actually coming out when it came out in, like, May uh, what May 11th, 1995. I'm sure we're going to get into the specifics here, but I, I don't remember that. Like, I know a lot of people today... I, I was kind of joking about the YouTube videos, but a lot of YouTube videos have come out over the years and say, oh, it was the biggest mic drop for Sony when they came out. They said two ninety nine. Like, yeah, maybe. But when I was a kid and into video games, I didn't even know an E3 existed. So I didn't yeah. think that was a big deal. It, it's like but, one of those in hindsight things. It's really funny. But like back in the day, what kids were watching E3? <laughs> Yeah, because my internet connection was totally into streaming E3 in 1995, as as we all were doing, much like we do today, uh, except we, we didn't. But I, I didn't remember when it came out. In fact, I remember being way more hyped and disappointed by the 32X. I remember it coming out and wanting to play Virtua Fighter and the, the, the potential of a 32-bit system on my Genesis, rather than the potential for a new Sega 32-bit system, because I don't actually remember hearing all that much about it. I remember being super, super hyped for the Nintendo 64. So in Christmas of 1996, I did what a lot of other kids my age did, 10-year-olds. Uh, I asked for a Nintendo 64 for Christmas so I could play Mario 64. Now, my, my dad was very, very successful. He still is a very, very successful person. And he was able to get our, our family, because there's three of us kids, uh, myself, my brother, my sister, he was able to get us each a console. I got the Nintendo 64, like I asked. My brother got the PlayStation, and my sister got the Saturn. My sister, being the least interested in video games, as, as it may be, also got the least successful system in North America. Uh, so it's, it's, it's kind of funny how everything turned out. So I was with my Nintendo 64 for a while. Then I got into the, the PlayStation a little bit because I had a friend who introduced me to Resident Evil and I got really into the PlayStation. And of course, Final Fantasy VII came out. 
I played a very little of the Saturn when when my sister you know was ha had the system like in her room. I played very little of it. Like if I was going to go in there, it was because of the deal that they had where you had Virtual Fighter Two, Virtual Cop, and Daytona USA that all came in a bundle when you got the system late nineteen ninety six. You got the three games with the system because they were struggling like real yes. bad. I think the console was one hundred ninety nine dollars mm -hmm. at that time too, and. So Virtual Fighter 2 was was a big game I would play at the time, but it wasn't really capturing my attention. I occasionally played Virtual Cop just because it was cool, but whatever. My attention was focused on Mario 64 and Wave Race and all the games are coming out there and then the PlayStation goodness. So I don't remember what exactly all of a sudden turned my attention over to the Saturn per se. It may have been working designs, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. And I can't remember the, the game specifically because the only game I remember really owning for the system from working designs was Magic Knight Ray Earth of all games. I don't remember the other ones, but there was some game on the Saturn that I, I remember getting into and I, and I can't put my finger on. But after after that, after I started getting interested in what that game was, and again, for the life of me, I can't remember what what intrigued me about it. I remember getting uh going to my local electronics boutique eb games uh, rip uh, unless you're in canada apparently or I'm, I'm not sure but uh it was in the mall and i was just starting to get into anime so this is around 1997 ish uh, and dragon ball z was my jam so i was 12 13 uh so it may have been 98 and i saw this dragon ball z game and i was like well how can i this this looks like a really cool game. How how can I play this? And it turned out that the Saturn was really, really efficient on playing imports. And yes. so I was like, oh, I'm going to play this Dragon Ball Z game and I'm going to play this on the Saturn. My sister never plays this game. So I'm going to go ahead and you know take her Saturn out of her room and put it in my room. And she didn't care. So. I started playing the Dragon Ball game and then I realized there was other games out there. So then there was X-Men versus Street Fighter, which came with the four megabyte cart. And I was a big fan of fighting games. So it's like, I'm going to get into X-Men versus Street Fighter. And then the, that import scene blew up and it's like, oh, here's Castlevania Symphony of the Night, but it's in Japanese. Shining Force 3 is coming out. That looks incredible. What's this Panzer Dragoon saga game? I like working designs. Magic Knight Rare Earth looks incredible. I, I got to get into this. And then slowly but surely, I started getting into these Saturn games and really appreciating the Saturn at the time, specifically imports and getting Darkstalkers and a bunch of other import games. I didn't really look at the Saturn library per se. Uh, Mega Man 8 was another game I had uh, because I was big into the Mega Man series. And Mega Man X4 was another one. Mm -hmm. And these these were the games that I was playing on my on the Saturn. And I was finding that there was a unique experience there that could not necessarily be found on the PlayStation and 64. Now, it wasn't necessarily my console of choice at that time, because first of all, just my my tendencies and my tastes at that moment was more into the PlayStation specifically, uh, with the secondary one being the N64, just because, you know, what, what your tastes generally are as a young kid in the 90s. But the Saturn I, I did find had a lot of experiences especially in the fighting game genre, which was something that you definitely could not find on the N64 and has severe penalties for loading times. It was on the PlayStation that if I wanted my fighting game fix, uh, uh, particularly in the 2D genre, it had to be on the Sega Saturn. So that's where my love for the Sega, for the Sega Saturn was. 
and it, it really blossomed from there. So that's that's my personal experience when I was younger. Flash forward many years because after I joined the Navy in 2003, my my parents, well, my mom, she essentially sold off the my entire video game collection. And so I went to go back and get it in like 2004, 2005. Uh, it was no longer there when I finally had some place to put my, my games. Uh, so I didn't have that anymore. So then in, a, I think around 2012, we had finally gotten uh, finished paying off one of our car payments. And I was like, well, I have a little bit of extra disposable income now that I'm not paying $200 a month on this car. I, I can maybe afford uh, something something I've been looking for, like a little treat for myself. And I at that point, I noticed that modern games were getting too expensive and yes. or at least I thought they were too expensive. So I was starting to look to the past and being like, there's a lot of experiences that I, I haven't really had the chance to have. So I, I want to experience these experiences over again and have new ones while not paying a ton of money. And I saw like a Sega Saturn on sales like i really want to get the saturn there's some really unique games there classic game room just influenced the hell out of me mm -hmm. so i saw a sega saturn for 60 dollars. it came with mortal kombat 2 knights into dreams two controllers the 3d controllers all the connections and everything like that i was like i have to get this so i got that for 60 bucks and then i got a loose copy of shining force 3 for 50 dollars. and i was like i am so happy i was even playing this on this like shitty little lcd tv and the picture was horrible. And I was like, man, I, man, I guess it didn't look like this, not knowing that the difference between LCD and a CRT was significant. I had no idea at that time. But I was like, wow, like we really put up with a lot back then because this was like ass. But I still was having a lot of fun. And that's actually what's burned my my collection, my collecting um, of obsession. And ever since then, I've gotten more and more into what the Saturn had to offer. Uh, going back and revisiting a lot of the games from my childhood, finding new games that I was into but never really had the opportunity to play, and just becoming a, a major Saturn fanatic over the past 10 years just because of those experiences, those those games that were released that we weren't told about, and so many games that were kept in Japan and not brought over here just because the struggles that Sega of America was having and their inability to successfully market to a North American audience. And I, I couldn't be, that's why I'm so happy to talk about the Sega Saturn today, because I, I still think as much as it has been covered in the online sphere, in terms of something being trendy or something like hidden gems or whatever the case might be, I still think there's a lot of people out there that don't understand just how amazing the Saturn, Saturn mm. was, especially in Japan. It's, it's this con conceptual thing that I think a lot of people casually understand, but until they actually put a controller in their hand and play it, I, I I think it's something that not everyone can fully appreciate because it is a really special system. And that is what people in Japan also thought. Not totally. It's actually really funny. Like me and Alex, like growing up, like, so like the Saturn, like we were, we're we basically missed out the set, missed, missed the Saturn entirely during its, uh, yeah. Uh, li lifetime and i i've mentioned this in the past but like the neighborhood like area that we were from was bizarre like in terms of video game tastes like we were like the lone playstation family in the entire area and it was like everybody had n64s which in hindsight was arguably alex's personal hell probably but um, yes. <laughs> i knew to stay away 
even at a young age. Well, I, I, I always crazy. remember being like super envious of all the N64 owners because like at the time as a kid, I didn't really Why? understand. Well, because as a child, you don't have full access to. I would have looked how... at that controller and said, "That's no good." <laughs> so, right away. As I'll, I'll preface, as a kid, the only games I owned were Crash Bandicoot Three, Final Fantasy VIII, Tiny Tank, and a bunch of licensed games. Mm. And at that point, I'd see like people playing like Mario sixty four, Conker's Bad Fur Day, Banjo Kazooie, F Zero uh, X, like just all these like games that looked super interesting at the time i mean they're they're all great games but i hadn't really discovered what the playstation library truly was because i was just too young and didn't have any money so it was just one of those things that you as a kid you never really experienced and what i found interesting was like there wasn't a saturn owner like anywhere like in our area like nobody knew what the saturn was and it was mostly like you either were well, it was mostly put N64 kids, but then, like, people at least knew what PlayStation was because it was kind of hard not to see the PlayStation during that point. And I don't think it was until, like, the early 2000s when, like, Classic Game Room, like, really started, like, popping off on YouTube that I saw um, the first real glimpse of the Saturn, which was, ironically, after I discovered the Dreamcast, of all things. And... I kind of had like a bizarre fascination with the Saturn for like years and I finally got one circa 2011 I want to say and I remember it was probably around 200 bucks at the time and it came with Virtual Cop uh Virtual Fighter 2 and the empty case for Daytona USA because they lost the disc apparently. Oh shit. Which is kind of a bummer because that's the one I wanted to play. <laughs> but um Anyways, so that was kind of how I got into Saturn back in the day. Uh, Alex, do you remember when we got the Saturn? Well, when I got the Saturn, like, or were you just not in um, video game? I think you got that when I was in college. So I probably no, no, wasn't. I, I was in high school still. You definitely oh, weren't you in were college. you were in high school? Well, okay. So then this was probably our phase where we hated each other <laughs> in okay, high that's, school. That's possible, too. <laughs> As most teenagers growing up as siblings end up doing at some point um so i probably also was just like very much like i need to pass cool i need to get into good college and i need to dance so i didn't have time for video games because i mean really i didn't get super into it until college where i just started playing games more um because i was so bored no <laughs> i was so known no friends um yeah so i don't remember when you got the saturn in all honesty i probably didn't i remember your dreamcast phase for sure but i don't remember the saturn okay to be I fair apologize. with this i'm sorry to be fair with the saturn i didn't have really any games worth talking about on it for the longest time because the unfortunate thing about the Sega Saturn, and Chris will attest to this definitely, it's never really been fun to collect for. No, no. Yeah, it's... well, now that I think about it, I think I really remember you talking about it when I went to Japan because you were like, look for Saturn stuff. And I said, okay. And I found Saturn stuff. So I feel like that's when I really first started learning about the Saturn. And that was more of my first experience with it. 
That was actually a pretty fun story. When so, Al, for people who don't know, Alex went to Japan to study abroad during a. It, that was your third year in college. Yeah, my junior year. And um, while she was there, she had offered to go look at a couple uh, used uh, game store. Well, not they weren't even game stores; they were just stores, weren't they? Uh, some of them, yeah. So there were some that were definitely game focused, but there was a um in Japan. There's a big culture of like resale, um, and people kind of selling you know selling stuff so there's just a lot of resale stores so and some of them are small where they don't where you kind of have to look through stuff but some of them are huge and they literally would have sections of just gaming stuff and uh, music and cds and clothing so they'd basically be like honestly like pre-owned department stores i guess you could say um but i was able to find some stuff there and i did find some um gaming stores as well there so because I, I think like, I would send you a bunch of stuff, and I'd be like, you want this? You'd, you'd send like, me messages over line, and I remember you yes. being like, uh, you'd be like, I'm in a game store. Anything you're looking for in particular, and I'm just like, Saturn stuff, I guess? And you're, you're like, anything specific? And I'm like, I don't know what I'm looking at, Alex. So she yeah. starts sending me photos of just, like, the most random games, and I'm like, all right. So I'm, like, going on, like, Wikipedia, like, looking up, like, import Saturn games just to try to figure out what she was, like, looking at. <laughs> And a lot of it was because the Saturn has a lot of like visual novel, like dating games yes. over in Japan. <laughs> and she found many of those. And I'm like, no, I'm not really going to get any enjoyment out of that. <laughs> um, yes. But then she she came across one store and she literally like just showed me a picture. And literally right on top, I saw Grandia and uh, the Langrisera collection. Okay. And. Uh, a Japanese Saturn controller. And I was just like, at first I was like, I just want the controller. <laughs> like, that's it. Um, but then I also, she was like, any games? Because she really wanted to get games. And I was like, uh, get Grandia and that Langrisser game. Well, that looks I think the, so I remember vividly, the Grandia copy, I definitely got at a resale store. I didn't get that at a gaming store. I got that okay. at a secondhand store. But the other two I got at the gaming store together. Maybe that's Maybe what it was. That. Yeah. Um, that was just really funny, though, seeing like those walls of Japanese Saturn games. And it makes you really realize just how much more successful it was in Japan as opposed oh, to yeah. America. It was it was second place in Japan. That is true, because the uh, yeah. place because the PlayStation was number one across the board. But uh, oh, yeah, Saturn was interestingly number two in Japan, which is really interesting in hindsight, because like a lot of people don't really realize this who don't like follow gaming like as deeply as uh, collectors do, but um, Sega was never really successful in Japan, like, at all. Like, they were, like, <laughs> third place most of the time. Yeah. They didn't uh, like I'm... Sonic. Uh, I mean, they just didn't care about Sonic. I don't well, think yeah. it's necessarily... They're they're very apathetic. Uh, the I think, like, up oh, until then... <laughs> yeah. But up until, uh, up until the Saturn, I would argue that the most successful system in terms of how it competed when it was on the market, was probably the SG-1000 because yes. that came out the same day as the, the Famicom did, infamously. And uh, the Famicom obviously stomped it into the ground. But from what I understand, like the first year was a lot closer than one might think before developers really started to understand how to take advantage of the Famicom's hardware and add the MMC chips and, and do scrolling and everything like that. And... Yeah. You know, of course, Dragon Quest was a thing that was not on any of Sega's systems, so that would obviously separate 
the Famicom from anything that anyone else was even attempting to do. So after that, it's it's hard to explain exactly why Sega couldn't have a foothold because Sega's arcade business was booming in Japan. It always boomed in Japan. And one of the things that Sega tried to do with all of its home consoles, whether it be it, it, it specifically talking about Japan here, the Mark III or the Mega Drive, was try to say that, hey, we are translating the arcade experience into your home. And so you had a lot of really you know, big time arcade games that tried to make that home conversion, whether it be Space mm-hmm. Harrier, Afterburner, or whatever, Altered Beast, or whatever the case might be. And the Japanese public just wasn't buying it. They would rather have the experience that NEC was giving with the core graphics and eventually what Super Nintendo, what uh, I'm sorry, Nintendo would be offering with the Super Famicom. And they they found more value in that. You could say that's because of RPGs, but the, the, the PC engine didn't, especially with Who Cards, did not have a lot of RPGs, not until it got to the CD releases. So I, I think it was just how they got in, touch with the culture uh how Mm. that appealed to japanese home gamers and this is something i'd be fascinated to talk about with a with a person from japan sometime like why was the appeal of the mega drive so i don't know um unappealing why 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 they was so rejected uh when a lot of the games that they tried to sell to the japanese public were popular in japanese arcades and the saturn didn't really I mean, they did do that to an extent because the Virtual Fighter 2 was a very big deal, but it seemed like they were more leaning into what was popular with the Japanese public. Like you said, visual novels or obscure kind of niche racing games or shmups, mm. things that Nintendo stopped really paying attention to, especially in the, with the Nintendo 64 from what I understand it has one shmup in its entire library and then went to a bunch of 3D collectathons, which doesn't look like the Japanese particularly care about. They they care about more of the experiences that you were you would get in an RPG or shmup or something like that. The more niche, even today, the the more niche genres that you would see in a in a video game culture. Yeah. Um, another key thing too was the uh, the infamous hatred between Sega of America and Sega of Japan. Of course. Which. They literally like for people who don't don't understand um, Sega of America, like really hit it off with like the Genesis in particular. And just like Sega became like this massive household name over in the States and in Europe to a degree as well. Because Sega of Europe also was very uh, effective. They're they're kind of like an odd outlier in this whole like hatred thing, because they also didn't get along with anyone, but they kind of just did their own thing in their corner. Um. But yeah, Sega of America and Sega of Japan, like, I, I always was convinced it was, like, jealousy on Sega of Japan's part by how successful they were in America. And what I always found really interesting was, like, Sega of Japan would literally go out of their way to sabotage their own success over in America, just out of, like, pettiness. Like, it, it was kind of insane. Well, uh, what is it? Uh, God, what's what's the name of the guy who is who's the big you know fi- uh figurehead for marketing oh sega for, of america yeah uh tom I say kalinsky yeah tom kalinsky uh tom kalinsky like a lot of notes have recently come out they have been leaked about how tom kalinsky was very worried about the, the progress of the saturn and he would be talking to the sega of america employees and be like hey how do we match what the saturn's doing in japan how do we 
how do we express this here in the United States? Because when I go to Japan, it's always sold out. And over over here, we can't move anything. And at that point, it, it kind of felt like, I mean, you're right. Sega Japan just did not really care. They were more reveling in the success that they were having in Japan. And they were just like, yeah, now you figure it out. Ha ha ha. And that's kind of the impression I get is for years while they were struggling over there and, and Sega of America was killing it. Now the rules were reversed. And mm. it, again, I, I'm not there. I'm not these people. But it feels like they, they took more pleasure in just kind of rubbing it in their faces than actually trying to support the Saturn here in the United States. There was also the infamous like Sega of Japan kind of withheld information on the Saturn for a while and basically kind of tricked Sega of America into developing the 32X just to immediately make it obsolete the second it was released. I, I, didn't they demand them to make the 32X? They b basically demanded them make the 32X as a way to extend the life of the Genesis and Sega of America went all in on it and actually made a for what it is pretty competent add-on i mean it's it's confusing but at least it works um yeah. and then immediately announced the saturn right after just to basically kill the thing before it was even alive hmm. but uh, from my understanding sega of america is well well aware of what the saturn was being developed i don't think it was a secret to them as, as far as i know I, I could be wrong on this, um, unless there's some information I'm missing here that you have. Which, there's like course... mul multiple sources. Like it's one of those very unclear things. Like that, it, even to this day, is still kind of like confusing. Right, but I I understand where Sega of Japan would be coming from because they did view the the Genesis as a money maker in North America. Mm. So them not really knowing how the Saturn would transition over, they 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 believed that, you know, it would probably be better to extend the life of the Genesis. And this is all poor business decisions, of course. Uh, you you just you have to pick something and stick with it. I think it would have been pretty savvy if they just made the the cartridge slot in the back be capable of playing Genesis games. I think that would have been incredibly brilliant. But mm. the tech either the technology wasn't there or it would have been too expensive. That's my assumption. Because why would you make a memory card slot like that? It's it's very strange. So conceptually, I, I have to believe that was a consideration in some part of development. Uh, if that's public already, you know, I'm sorry, but I'm not sure if it has been. So I'm not going to say it was I've, or was not. I've never seen any like concrete evidence to it. Yeah. The, I guess actually this is a good place to transition into the system itself. Um, hardware sure. wise, the Saturn is ungodly complicated <laughs> for what it is. Um, and I guess, like, b before we go into super technical, I want to talk, uh, have Alex uh, give her first impressions of it, because Alex, was the recent playthrough we did your first real experience with the Saturn? Yeah, I'd have to say it was. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if I ever played it in Japan, like, with a console or something. I don't think I ended up actually playing it in Japan, so I'm pretty certain when we played all the games, that was my first experience. Okay, so what was your thoughts on like the system itself, like the controller, like just the system, like from like a aesthetic appearance? Like, what what do you think? I mean, I think it. I, I mean, aesthetically, it looks nice. Um, the controller is comfortable in your hands, which is always a perk. Uh, the preface um, we're talking about the Model Two uh, uh, controller, not the 3D one or the unique uh, Model One controller. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, the controller I use is comfortable. Um, and I mean, like, I had fun with the console. Um, all the games we played, I enjoyed. Um, yeah, it was a good first impression. It didn't make me angry, so that was always a good perk. And you didn't I have discovered your... a console can do that. <laughs> one one way that I can always tell Alex is does isn't going to enjoy a system is if after playing a game, she complains that her hands are cramping. Mm. Um, she didn't do that with the Saturn, so that was a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, that happened cause... almost immediately with the N64. Yeah, well, I just, like, I mean, I work at a computer um, for a good portion of my day, as well as I'm out on the floor, so I am, like, typing a lot, so I do just tend to have, like, hand pains. Um, just You respect the not... ergonomics. I, yeah, I do respect the ergonomics. It was comfortable. It didn't have a weird third prong in the middle, because why? So... <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely a comfortable controller. My hands were not hurting by the end of it, which is always a good sign for me. Um, and to get into that now, the so the Saturn in terms of controllers is pretty interesting. Uh, the, the most well-known Saturn controller by far is the Model 2 controller, and I believe that was the default controller in Japan? Yes. Yes. That's, okay. that's what came out with it, yeah. Okay. I, that's actually, I actually have a Japanese one that Alex... Uh, got me the the white one with the color buttons and the red uh, yes. bumpers i Very do nice. say i do like the 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 japanese version i do enjoy the colorful buttons they are quite fun <laughs> japanese saturns just look nice because it's, <laughs> it's like a white white console and it i'm so used to sega being like all like dark and like edgy so like it's an interesting well, contrast well remember when the sega when the saturn lost in japan it was a gray and blue color oh yeah the, that mm-hmm. that one too so like the the model one saturn uh yeah it had the same design as the model two controller but it wasn't the white pink and you know colorful controller it was more of a gray and blue one okay yeah i've seen i've seen those two because alex actually sent me a picture of like the controllers when she was in japan and i remember seeing a bunch of those and then the the white one really stuck out to me because it's such a striking looking controller and I guess getting into it, like, this controller, like, has grown on me so much over the years. Like, I think you call it, like, your definitive 2D controller, Chris? I, I consider it to be the best 2D controller ever made, yes. It's very well designed. Like, it's it's not too big, but it's also not too small. So, like, your hands fit in it just right. The uh, the shoulder buttons are very nice and, like, comfortable. It's got all six butt face buttons on the front. So your fighting games are, like, a snap. And then the D-pad is, like... It's like the Genesis D-pad, but just better. Yes, 100%. And so, go ahead. I was just going to say, and uh, comparing it to the Model 1, it is like night or day, but uh, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to continue to lavish praise on this controller, which if you want to hear us talk more about controllers, this is an episode on the Gaming Collecting podcast earlier about them. But uh, I, I would agree with everything you said. The way it curves... Uh, the way it fits into your hand, it's like they took that Sega six button controller, which is uh, the Sega Genesis six button controller, uh, which is also a very good controller. And they applied all the lessons that you could learn from the Super Nintendo controller by putting on shoulder buttons, mm. by um, just making the, the face buttons a little bit more more comfortable. Uh, your X, Y and Z buttons are still a little odd because they're smaller and they're convex as opposed to concave. But they they feel a lot better than they do on the Genesis six button controller. Uh, 
just the the d-pad itself feels it feels like really soft but at the same time it doesn't feel cheap or too mushy so they they really balanced it out uh especially with the d-pad itself because you know going back to what i just said the the genesis controller for as good as it as a d-pad that it does have it does have slightly hard edges on the edges of the d-pad whereas the saturn controller doesn't really seem to have that problem they're much more rounded so if you're going to play a fighting game if you're going to be rolling that down to forward to do a fireball it feels incredibly more natural on a saturn controller if you want to move left to right it's it's something that you can do as well it's more that the versatility of this controller what i can do for 2d games is what's made what makes it exceptional because i do recognize for nintendo games the nintendo d-pad on the super nintendo is much better for a game like mario i do feel like you can play a 2d a pure 2d platformer with a super nintendo d-pad probably a little bit better than you could with a saturn d-pad but in terms of almost every other application of what you would get with a with a 2D game, yeah, the, the Saturn controller just absolutely dominates. Yeah. And then I'd be remiss not to mention the Model 1 controller that they gave us in America because it is... Gross. <laughs> it, it, it's literally like take the Model 2 controller and just warp everything so it's just weird in every way. In an almost kind of endearing way, but not in a good way, if that makes sense. It's like, it's like they wanted to reinvent the Master System controller in a modern in a modern sense. Uh, if if you look at it, if you look at the controller, it looks like they took the Genesis six button controller and then added shit around it. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to describe it. The shoulder buttons suck on it. They don't have They're like these a lot of huge yeah. clicky like plastic things that barely function. They have um, no give. Like, yeah. You can't tell if you're pressing them or not. They're, they're awful. You know what I think might have been the case? I think they took the, the Saturn name literally and they tried to make it look like a spaceship. Probably. Because it um, is the weirdest <laughs> controller. Like, it's kind of like the Xbox controller, but like in reverse where like they had a like good controller and they just made it worse. And they did, it's not like the Xbox controller where they had a chunky kind of awkward controller and made it better for for the out uh, overseas release right 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 um but the d-pad too we got uh, like i don't think the d-pad is bad it's not as good as the model 2 it's not as bad as you think it would be on looking at it because it looks like bad yeah it's like up there with like the uh i bring up the original xbox again the original xbox d-pad which like doesn't even look like a d-pad at first glance right um, but like it, it feels fine enough. Honestly, the, I think the, the, uh, D-pad might actually be the best part of the controller if that says anything about it. Um, cause everything else, like the controller is awkward to hold cause it's not shaped properly. It literally, it looks like a spaceship and it doesn't fit in the hand naturally. That has and... to be bumps on the side. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's it's just a weird controller, and I don't understand why. Like, there's a reason why they immediately defaulted to the Model 2 controller, like, within, like, a year or so. Yeah, it was very quick. It was very, very quick. Um, another it's... controller for the Saturn that's fascinating is the 3D controller that was famously packaged with uh, Nights into Dreams. Um, I like to... Un... I li... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say underrated. Underrated yeah. controller. 
it it's got the most unique analog stick I think I've ever seen on a 3D like control pad. Um, I like to personally call this controller the Sega Dreamcast prototype controller, only it's better than the Sega Dreamcast controller. By far, yes. Um, mostly because it has a competent D-pad, and the analog stick is not hard. Well, it's hard plastic, but it's not like whatever the Dreamcast analog stick was trying to be. So so there's a lot of things going on with the, the Sega 3D controller that, that are worth mentioning. First of all, I do think that the analog pad, whatever you want to call it, because it's not a stick, it's definitely a pad. Like uh, a that kind of sucks. Yeah, it, it sucks. I'm not going to sit here and try to try to sell you some snake oil about the actual <laughs> purpose of this. Is that no, like it, it feels weird. It's kind of like a like a I don't know, I guess a 3DS, the 3DS nub. If you and I don't like playing 3D style games with a 3DS nub, but it's a little weirder than that because it, it just kind of rolls around. It's almost like a semi trackball. It's not the most comfortable. It's not the best. Uh, there's, is, there, yeah. I was Go just ahead. gonna say it is absolutely one of a kind in terms of analog sticks on a controller. That's a way to put it. One of a kind. Absolutely. Uh, it is one of a kind, and I. <laughs> um. I will say that the D-pad on the 3D controller is, I, I think it's really good. I think it's, it might be a little bit better than the Model 2 D-pad, if I'm being honest. And something else is that the the triggers on the back are analog. Mm, something that and, the Dreamcast and Xbox would later uh, borrow. Yes. And you didn't get that with the PlayStation until, what, the PlayStation 4? Was three it the PlayStation they, 4? No, was PlayStation, it 3? Yeah, they sucked ass on the PS3 controller, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they were bad on the PS3. It was a it was a difficult analog, but they were analog. But like the GameCube's, like the GameCube was analog. They borrowed from it. Uh, mm. But the PS2 didn't. That was digital shoulder buttons, even though the face buttons were oddly pressure sensitive. Pressure sensitive whatever. Yeah. yeah, that was a fucking horrible idea. But uh, <laughs> like it's it's something that really separated itself from that generation, having those shoulder buttons. So you could play a game like Sega Rally and mm. with a, a racing game, and you could control your throttle with, with a variable uh, uh, amount of pressure, as opposed to anything you could do with a racing game on the PlayStation or the N64, where it would have been great for a Gran Turismo to have a function like that. So yes. I think like if you could play, Gran Turismo with the Sega 3D controller, and that was something that that functioned. I think that that would be actually be a really good time. I also bringing up the 3D controller. It has two particular quirks to it that I still find hilarious, even though they're completely unnecessary and they they don't really do anything. Honestly, my favorite is the the power the power cord is removable for some reason. Like that, I've always found really interesting. Yeah, it's. I feel like there was an add-on that they planned that they just never incorporated. Or yeah, something it's, like that. It's hard to plan, you know, add-ons when you're you're not the market leader. When right? your system's dead <laughs> in the water as it is. Oh, no. um, in the largest and, market, right? And then my other favorite feature is it has a switch between analog and D-pad, which is just cute. <laughs> like it, it's completely unnecessary nowadays, but like just the idea that's like, oh, I'm playing analog. I just want to switch to D-pad just because. And you just flip a switch down at the bottom. That's just funny to me for some reason. It's also great for resetting the calibration on your analog nub. That is true, because it does get kind of loose every now and then. Uh, it's so finicky. I, I highly do not recommend you use that if you have a game that's capable, compatible <laughs> with it. 
Yeah. You're, you'll um, be tempted. Don't do it. Yeah, I learned that quickly. Like, it's compatible with Sonic R, supposedly. <laughs> it doesn't really make the game any more playable, though. There's a lot of games that they say it's compatible with, and then you try playing it, and like, I, I would imme- I immediately swap it back over to the D-pad. So because, one game, uh, I, we didn't play this one just because it was not really a multiplayer game, but um, the one game that I actually find it kind of interesting to play with is like Panzer Dragoon Saga. Like, I, I found it somewhat functioning for that game. But granted, you spend a lot of that game in menus, so maybe I'm just overthinking it. Well, it was a novelty. It was definitely mm. a novelty uh, in that game. It worked fine. It even kind of works fine in Shining Force, but you don't no, Shining Force three, of course, but you do not need to use it like it, it doesn't really add anything to the gameplay, uh, which is much different than what Nintendo did with the N64, uh, where the analog stick really changed the way that a lot of people saw 3D gaming, in my opinion. I know Alex is going to hate me for saying that after just slamming it at the be, at, you know, towards the beginning of the episode when I called it trash. But the analog stick did change the way that people viewed 3d gaming and then the dual shot controller and how a lot of playstation games really took advantage of that the saturn the games were compatible with it but i never really felt any game made it feel like it was mandatory like nothing really took advantage of it to the extent that either the n64 did or the analog controller slash dual shock did for the playstation even its pack-in game that it came with nights into dreams yeah, I mean, it sort of kind of makes sense that that call controller was made for that game. But at the same time, it's perfectly playable without the 3D controller. So it's almost it, it is better without it, to be honest, <laughs> sort of. Um, yeah, it, it's really funny to me, like the Saturn itself, everything about it is kind of just atypical to like what video games were doing at the time, like. The system's hardware itself was kind of a mess where they had to... Ironically, everything about the Saturn nowadays is is completely standard with, like, what gaming does, but at the time it was, like, radically different. Um, Because, like, the Saturn had two CPUs, one that handled the 3D, one that handled the 2D. Developers didn't really know how to deal with that. The Saturn used quadrilaterals instead of triangles to make 3D models, and it was difficult. A whole bunch Mm -hmm. of weird things with it. Oh, absolutely. And that that's what gave the Saturn a lot of that unique look. If you mm. go back and you look at it, it, well, they're not so unique when you have multiplats. Like if you look at Tomb Raider compared across Saturn and PlayStation, some people will say that, that the Tomb Raider, that uh, Tomb Raider on the Saturn looks better than the PlayStation one version. I don't know. I haven't sat down and compared the two oh, of them. I think Tomb Raider is a bad game, but yeah, they're, they're pretty comparable. Uh, you look at the pyramids, though, and you go, oh, they yeah, they definitely don't have triangles. It makes it's very clear because <laughs> um, those pyramids don't look right. <laughs> but. Um, but... Uh, one thing I'd like to point out, though, is like it's the Saturn is such a weird anomaly, like in terms of its graphics that like a lot of people theorize that it might actually be more powerful than it ever was really able to show. I've heard that because if you look on paper and you look at the capabilities of the Saturn in terms of raw power, there's there's a lot there that would make people think, you know, technically that the Saturn could potentially do more than the PlayStation. But I think it's how that's applied and how the, the, the chipsets communicate with each other 
I think there's the, the two chipsets, GDP one, GDP two, one that handles the main graphics, one that handles the background, or as you said, one that handled 2D, one that handled 3D uh, to an extent. Uh, but like, for example, the Saturn couldn't handle transparencies very well. And this is something mm. that you see in a lot of multi-platform games is that the trans, especially like uh, a great example is Mega Man X3 or Mega Man X4, where a lot of those transparencies that were handled extraordinarily well on the PlayStation, they could not handle as well on the Saturn even if loading was a little bit better on the Saturn and, and the sprite presentation was a little bit better in the Saturn, the, the 3D effects were never really as good, even in those 2D games. Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Symphony of the Night is a fantastic example. example. Yeah, and how slow it was. And that's mostly because I think they gave that to uh, K-Set instead of K-Set. They gave it to a like their, their B-tier uh, development studio. So, instead of giving it to their upper ones that that that's a problem another rumor i heard too with why the game runs as bad as it does on saturn is uh, apparently symphony of the night is actually built on a 3d engine and it makes sense the because of that like the saturn being infamously handicapped with 3d kind of wasn't able to render it the same way because just the, trans, the it couldn't handle its engine i guess that's what i've read i don't know how 100% that is oh i i have no idea but, I mean, wh- however they they handled that game, they handled it <laughs> incredibly uh, the wrong way. I think yeah. it could have been handled much better. Which is sad because it's, yeah. it's almost the definitive version of the game, but it like because it performs so badly, it's kind of like this weird anomaly offshoot that people talk about, but isn't considered the best way to play the game. I mean, it's kind of like the Saturn itself when you compare it, when you compare it to the PlayStation. There's so many things when you think about how the Saturn was designed and how the architecture was designed and what it was meant to do uh, compared to the PlayStation for the era. It looks like it could have been something that could have been very successful. If you look on paper, like why, why did the Saturn perform so poorly compared to the PlayStation? I don't know. Polygon counts. I think like if you look in terms of raw power, I think there's the potential for the Saturn to do better in terms of pure polygon counts. And I can be completely wrong there. But there's there, there is some power advantages that the Saturn had over the PlayStation. But again, much like Symphony of the Night, uh, it has it's so atypical. And even though it might be the definitive version to play certain games uh, in, on a technical level, uh, at the end of the day, it's still a very atypical way to play them and design for them. So when you would take two versions, especially with 3D games, the PlayStation version, maybe it was easier to design for. Maybe it was something that developers had a better concept of by that point. Uh, But you would go with the PlayStation version just because it was typical. It was standard, whereas the Saturn version would always have some quirk to it that would just kind of submarine it. So transferring over to like Saturn games in particular now, um, for um, our little playthrough session, me and Alex kind of played a handful of, like, the multiplayer games I had on hand at the time. And Alex, like, in particular, really enjoys, like, the fighters every now and then, like, because yeah. she's, like, surprisingly pretty good at them, like, and I'm not, which makes it really entertaining. <laughs> and uh, so I figured the one that was we really should have played first was uh, Virtual Fighter 2, just because it was kind of, like, it's kind of the definitive Saturn fighter Maybe not in terms of gameplay, but just in terms of like when you think Saturn, fighters on the Saturn, that's kind of the one that just pops into most people's heads. Mm-hmm. And I remember like we went into this one and I remember Alex like actually really like, what did you think of it, Alex? It was fun. I thought all the fighters that we played were all pretty fun. 
Um, there wasn't a single one that I was like really uh didn't enjoy. Um, so yeah, but Virtual Divider was fun. Um, yeah, I mean they're fighters, and I like playing fighters. <laughs> what I thought was amusing was like we played Virtual Fighter and then immediately played Fighting Vipers after, and like the the drop in quality from Virtual Fighter to oh, Fighting yeah. Vipers <laughs> is very entertaining because it's like you can definitely tell which one had most of the budget. I don't know though; it was kind of fun though. <laughs> the the one with the lesser quality was still pretty fun to play. Also, keep in mind, I I love both games, which is why I love Fighters Mega Mix. It's where it combines both of them. You can play as the Daytona USA car in that game. It's the best thing ever. (laughs) Wait, did we play that? No, I don't have Fighters Mega Mix. It's on my. I'm on the hunt for it. I wish we did because that would have been disappointment. I want to play as the car. (laughs) Fighters Mega Mix might be the most fun game on the Saturn. I'm just saying that right now. Uh, because you can play as the car from Daytona USA. You can I want, play as that's all I want. <laughs> there you go. You can play as a giant bear wearing a sombrero. Uh, you can play <laughs> as Janet from Virtual Cop, who actually has a gun that you can shoot. Uh, and has a move and is completely broken. There is so much good things about Fighters Mega Mix, but you look at a game like Fighting Vipers, and this is probably why it's a drop in quality. Is there's a lot more going on there now? Virtual Fighter Two beautiful game runs extremely fluidly looks gorgeous and plays plays very well that is i think the definitive 3d fighting game on the saturn if you're not talking about fighters mega mix the reason <laughs> i think virtual not uh the reason i think fighting vipers is a little bit low in terms of a uh, step in quality is because i had a lot toward more to manage i had the walls i had the armor that broke uh those kind of things. So the arena is different. The, the the way that the characters behave is a little bit different where those are things you don't necessarily have to worry about with virtual fighter two and virtual fighter two is, is like, that's, that's your premier franchise. You're right. Like the budget's going to go there. That's what you're trying to get people to buy the Saturn for. I remember when we played it, like this was like my favorite moment. Was it when Alex saw the graphics for virtual fighter two? Like, I don't know if you remember this, Alex, but you literally went, this is Saturn. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it looked really good for... I was not expecting it to look that nice. I, I won't lie. I thought it was going to look a lot worse. <laughs> well, because then I immediately showed you an image of, like, the 32X version of Virtual Fighter with the yeah. uh, the, the blocky models, and you were like, oh. Oh, that's ugly. And this <laughs> is nice. Did y'all play Dead or Alive? Uh, we did not, because I don't... I have that on PlayStation, not the Saturn. Okay. Saturn, Saturn, once again, is the definitive edition of the game, which is weird because it's a 3D fighter, of course. Now, it has completely unrealistic jiggle physics to, to your delight or disdain, whatever whatever you feel like. I like laughing at it because it's just I always, incredibly I always, easy. I always think of the screw attack review where it's just like Stutter and Craig going like on and on about how like great the, <laughs> great the game looks and talking about the physics. And then he immediately goes, oh, the fighting's pretty good, too. and it's just like oh the internet was a different time yeah uh but it it looks it looks really good too dead or alive um i don't think it came out here in the states that's you know one of the biggest problems yeah but it's a fantastic a fantastic port on the sega saturn i'd say it probably looks a little bit better than virtual fighter 2 but virtual Mm -hmm. fighter 2 is also released in 95 i think dead or alive was released a few years later yeah um, we also played, because um, I wanted to show off a 2D fighter, too, because the Saturn's, like, bread and butter was 2D games. 
so we uh, played um, uh, Street Fighter Alpha 2, which is a pretty good port on Saturn, all things considered. Um, what did you think of that one, Alex? Because I, I don't remember exactly your thoughts on it at the time. It was fun. Well, no, the best part about that one was I picked the worst player, and Bill let me pick it, let me play oh. as it, and then at the end told me, he's like, yeah, that's the worst stats in the game, and I was like, you jerk! Why so we, did you we, let me play? We were at the player select screen, and Alex just, like, literally goes, who's Dan? I'm gonna play as Dan, and I just <laughs> sit over in the corner going, okay, Alex, you play as Dan. And then you know, uh, she got annihilated, and she was like, why did he no, suck? I'm like, he's the worst character. No. I was very close to beating you with Dan. I was it was a very close call remember. every time. No, yeah, I remember that because I was like, "What the heck?" Like, normally this would have been fine, and then Bill's like, "Oh, you picked Dan," and I was like, oh, "Fuck you, Bill." You know my house. Oh wait, we were in your house. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> but yeah, Dan's that's awesome. I, I love Dan. He is the meme character though, of the series. <laughs> he is so good. I love playing as him. He has the three kick hurricane like kick activation. He can get up close with his fireball that does damage. He has a he has a taunt super. What characters have a taunt super? Dan does. And he says, he says something today, boy RD. He loved, I think he says chef today, boy RD when he wins. Chef today. <laughs> Boy RD. Well, that I didn't is a win character with him, so I didn't get you to hear can get it. Behind. <laughs> uh, get good, Alex. That's that's all it comes down to. Because right. he is a good I'll character. Have to practice <laughs> with good. Dan. She actually did win most of the rounds. That's the funny part. I was so uh, close to beating you with Dan. You know, if I had played with Dan like the last round after I got a hang of the controls, I probably would have beat you that round too. Next time. That- that is a very pretty game on Saturn, though. Like they they transferred that from the arcades very well. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually considered to be the premier port of that game. Is it? If, oh, it, yes. If you, you go back, well, if you go back to to ninety six when it came out on the PlayStation and Super Nintendo, uh, it was considered to be superior to both those versions. Obviously, superior to the Super Nintendo version because it, the the Super Nintendo version is a small miracle, but it's not as good as the PlayStation or the Saturn one, obviously. But the, the Saturn one, yeah, it has more frames of animation from what I can recall, slightly faster loading times. And so it's it's the best port of the game for home consoles uh, at the time that it was released. Now, of course, we've had arcade perfect versions come out in subsequent subsequent releases throughout the years. But yeah, back in 96, this it was the best version of that game. Mm. Uh, I also have Mortal Kombat trilogy, but we ended up not playing that one just because we wanted to move on to other genres uh i would like to bring that game up though just because it is an interesting little fact about the set about the saturn well that game in particular it is one of the few games from that generation that is available on all three of the main systems being the playstation saturn and n64 is it it's on n64 and playstation as well it's hold on hold on I think there's a difference because there's Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 and Mortal Kombat Trilogy, correct? There is, uh, and they're both on Saturn. Really? Mortal Kombat Trilogy is on the Saturn? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. It's considered arguably the... like. It's weird, the Mortal Kombat Trilogy. Some people say it's the best version. Other people say the PlayStation version is better. But it's one of the three... It's one of the couple games that is available on all three systems 
which is actually really interesting when you think about it, because there is only like a handful of those, because those systems were just so different in terms of uh, hardware. Oh, yeah. I can't. What's another one? Duke, Duke Nukem 3D. Oh, but yeah, it was different on the Saturn because it was good on the Saturn. Yeah, because it, it was built from the ground up with, with, with an engine custom made for the Saturn because they tried to put the build engine on Saturn and it didn't work. I actually, it, I don't know if you're planning on segueing, but I do have to say here, like if you want to look and see what the Saturn was capable of doing in 3D, like you really want to see what it was, what it could do in the hands of a capable developer outside of Sega themselves, like you would see with Virtua Fighter 2 or Fighters Mega Mix or their, or their fighters, right? Or mm -hmm. like Burning Rangers. If you want to see what can be done, play the games made by Lobotomy Software. Play, mm -hmm. uh, they don't play the best today because they're first person shooters on a 2D controller. I get it. It's going to be a pain in the ass to play. Uh, but if you want to see like how capable the system could be, Duke Nukem 3D, Quake, and Power, Power Slave. Slave are three games that work fantastically on the Saturn, are fully 3D first-person shooters, and are probably better than anything that the PlayStation had to offer during the life of the Saturn in, in North America. I'm sure, I mean, it got better with the PlayStation. They had more time to develop, of course. But, like, I, I, I can't think of anything on the PlayStation. You know, Doom's really good on the PlayStation, but in terms of being a showcase of what a 3D first-person shooter can do, I don't think there's anything on the PlayStation that compares to what Lobotomy Software was accomplishing over on the Sega Saturn. Yeah, no, those games are all phenomenal. Uh, another genre, though, that's really big on the Saturn that me and Alex played a couple games of was um, uh, shoot 'em ups, and we we would have been remiss to play to play some Saturn games and not give a good shout out to Radiant Silver Gun, which is absolutely one of the greatest <laughs> games on the Saturn. And yes. I loved it because Alex like had like sensory overload after three seconds of it, which was <laughs> really amusing. <laughs> that game is a lot. <laughs> like there's a lot going on at once. Yeah, when there's a lot going on in a game, I'll get overwhelmed. Be like, I don't know what I'm doing. Or the best part is like when we're playing a racing game and then I just start thinking I'm on the other screen. Oh, on the screen that's we'll get doing to, good. We'll get to racing <laughs> games in a few minutes. But um, yeah. my favorite quote from Alex during a, our Radiant Silver Gun playthrough was Alex being like, which buttons shoot? And I just me going all of them. Yes, <laughs> each button is has a different laser, and it is amazing. Oh yeah, we just kept losing at the same part too, and it was my fault because I kept dying. There were so many things to look at; I was so distracted. That game is amazing. Just everything about it. All right, it's also like when there's like two characters on the screen at once. Like I just get really confused about. I forget which one I am, and then I just get lost the whole game. That's what happens too. So it was fun, but I probably shouldn't play it, or I should play it one player, not two player. So Radiant Silver Gun is a fantastic shmup or shooter. Uh if as the cool kids say, apparently, because now shmup is a frowned upon term. I don't know how that happened, but whatever. I'll 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 accept okay. it. <laughs> but uh uh, within the shmup community, shmup, the shmup community hates the term shmup from what I'm learning. But uh, in, in terms of Radiant Silver Gun, this was actually one of the games I imported way back in the day. Uh, this was because I heard nothing but good things about it in the magazines like this is a must play game. And I actually beat the game when I was a kid. 
And the way I did that is because Radiant Silver Gun has a fantastic, fantastic mechanic where you can continuously start the game over with your weapons being leveled up because your weapons gain levels the more and more you use them, which is incredible. So once you learn the game, once you learn how to make your way through it, like Radiant Silver Gun is a very, very special experience. And just when it comes to shooters in general, Radiant Silver Gun is one of just seemingly dozens upon dozens of of shooters on the Saturn. And there are so many good ones. Unfortunately, here in North America, we got a couple of really good ones like uh, Galactic Attack, also known as Layer Section in Japan, which is called, I think, Ray Storm in the arcades. It's part of the Ray series. Uh, I, I can't get all the Ray. I don't think it, it may not be Ray Storm, but it's it's a Ray game. Uh, like Raystorm, Ray Crisis, and yeah, it's it's part of that series. Fantastic game, and uh, also we got G Darius, which uh, is uh, Darius uh, uh, Gaiden. Yes, uh, is it Dar- uh, Darius Gaiden? I think it's Darius Gaiden. Uh, but we got that. That. Was the, um, that was the other one. Me and Alex played. Yeah, and so there, there's so many good shmups on the Saturn. So if you ever have an opportunity, uh, go go play as many as you can any way you can because there's there's quite a extensive collection there especially a game called steam hearts go play steam hearts go go check that game out especially if you like porn <laughs> the saturn definitely did <laughs> wonderful <laughs> wonderful i'm sorry mother if you're listening to this <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> it's, it's cartoon porn it's hentai so it's not real porn oh no she's gonna ask Henty. us what that means she's gonna ask us what that means again <laughs> oh no um why did you do this to us no my my favorite part about Radiant Silver Gun, though, this is just kind of a, a a meta thing, is the fact that like the game has one of the biggest downer endings in like any game. Yeah, where humanity dies, and it's just like the end. Like, okay, uh, great game though. Exceedingly yep. expensive though. It is like it is the the one exception to the um to the the usual rule about um Japanese Saturn games being cheaper. Oh, not anymore. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah I mean, yeah. in general, yes, but they're not cheap anymore. Yeah, there's, that, they've gone up quite a bit. Oh, Christ. The good thing about Radiant Silver Gun is that you can get it pretty much anywhere now. And it's been on Xbox Live Arcade forever. And you can still buy that as an Xbox 360 game on your series. So uh, if you have not done that already, go do it. I mean, it's still going to, when the Xbox 360, like, online shop shuts down it's still going to be available because it's been you know moved forward but yeah definitely go go buy it there if you haven't played it on the saturn which it will cost what 150 200 right now so yeah. it'll cost you probably 15 bucks or less on your xbox or switch or ps whatever so another genre that we played just because we were really kind of going down all the multiplayer games for this uh was uh racing games and one in particular that I had to play just because it is like one of the most iconic racers on the system is Daytona USA. Have the to. problem, the problem is though, I, I forgot about this one that we were going to play. Like, cause I pulled it off the shelf and I looked at it and I realized real quick, Oh, right. Daytona doesn't have multiplayer, the uh, original version. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, all right, we can't play the, the, the goofy original version. So we're going to have to play the updated version, which is Daytona USA championship circuit edition, which 
is kind of a different game from the original. Like, it's not as arcadey. It's more... It was made by the Sega Rally team as opposed to the uh, AM2, but it has multiplayer, and it, it's not a bad version of Daytona USA. It's very much its own thing. And one of the reasons I love playing racing games with Alex is they are hilarious, because Alex forgets which car she is really fast, and then you just see this crazy car driving <laughs> everywhere. Oh, no. I don't know why, but I just, like, I go, like, almost cross-eyed, and I just can't figure out what car. I, it's terrible. And it's racing games in particular, where I'm just, like, I just suck at them, because I don't know where my car is half the time. Oh, I'm terrible at them, but they are pretty funny. <laughs> well, because eventually I just give up and then I just start doing, just start doing random shit. Um, the the best then... was like um, we did the longest track on the circuit, which is like the crazy one with like the all the turns everywhere. And That's we not were getting NASCAR. I hit so many walls. <laughs> well, actually, it kind of is nowadays. There's like twelve road courses on the circuit now, but <sighs> that's besides the point. Um, oh. My favorite, though, is, like, we, we were doing a race, and Alex, like, got bored halfway through it and just decided she was going to just go the other way. And she's like, when you catch me, I'm going to take you out. And then the second I caught her, she missed and drove right into a wall. And I was like, I was like, way to go, Alex. Yeah, that's what usually happens. It's like, after a point, I'll just give up, and I'll be like, all right, time to mess with Phil. Time to ruin Bill's first place finish. And then I failed, so it wasn't much of a sabotage. But there was effort. <laughs> um, so anyways, so D Daytona USA, like, to me, is, like, one of the most interesting racing games, like, ever made. Because, like, it is, it, it's based off of American stock car racing, but it is, like, the most Japanese, like, racing game I think you'd, you'd ever play. Like, there's literally a singer that sings Rolling Start when you start a race. Like, the game sings game over to you when it's over. It. Just everything about it is charming, and that's honestly one of the downsides to a Championship Circuit Edition is it doesn't have the same music, and it's a, lit, a bit more realistic in a lot of ways. Mm. So actually, mm. sorry to bring this back into a fighting game discussion here, but because they did that with Daytona USA Championship Edition, they also did something similar with Virtua Fighter, with Virtua Fighter Remix, because yes. the original version of Virtua Fighter, which launched with the system, was actually considered to be worse than the 32x version uh so they are like okay we we want to show that the saturn can do something more I mean, it was a little bit too little too late especially because toshinden for the playstation looked so much better than the original virtual fighter did and first impressions are you know a first impression so when it came to those remix games yeah you're right like the soundtrack it doesn't feel like those games and i feel like the music is what makes something like virtual uh, a virtual fighter or especially a daytona usa the music in daytona usa makes daytona usa that's the mm. charm of that game it's it it's what makes it brilliant that's what's so good about it mm. no that's for sure which is really interesting because like championship circuit edition actually was one of the earliest sega games to feature uh uh compositions from uh jun Sanoa, the uh guy who does he's the guitar player for crush 40 that does all the sonic songs nowadays mm. um and this was like one of his first games like he does all the hard guitar themes and stuff he actually got the singer from mr big eric martin to like duet on a bunch of songs like the main theme and stuff it, it's it, it very much screams this what he would do like later on with like sonic games but it's very weird hearing it in daytona usa of all things 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just a shame that so much of what makes Daytona USA Daytona USA is the people is I, I can't remember his name, but the guy going Daytona like really loud. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not there anymore. Daytona USA's like music is so catchy. There's a karaoke mode in the game. Yeah, it needs it. It's perfect. It's the funniest thing that you can play. Like I was laughing when we were at Retro World. Uh, Alex and Josh were playing uh, Double Dragon at one point, mm. and they were so absorbed into it that they didn't notice me standing there. So I went and just played around with Daytona USA on the other side because it was there. Well, well, Sega knew they messed up too because. Daytona USA on the Dreamcast has all the original music. Mm, it's actually an updated version, too, with like up, better graphics and uh, all the bonus content from Championship Circuit Edition. Oh, yeah. Now, was Championship Edition... Was that compatible with the Netlink, or was there a Netlink Edition? Was that separate? So there's a, there's a separate version that is Netlink... Sorry. That is the Netlink Edition, and that version is incredibly expensive. Yes. Even though you can't really use it, but yeah, it's a very it's a very expensive piece of text on the front of the cover. Yes, like a Fantasy Star Online Plus for the GameCube. Yes, <laughs> um, that um, was a cool thing though with the Saturn. It could go online, which not sure how many people actually used it, but very few. It, it was a thing. Um, but if we're going to talk about racers really quick, I think racers is the one category where the Saturn actually does fall behind the other two consoles uh, in, in terms of total total quality and releases. I think the N64 has a ton of great racers, especially arcade quality racers. And the, the PlayStation has Gran Turismo and Gran Turismo 2. End of discussion. I don't care what you say about Jet Moto. If it sucks, it doesn't matter because it has the Gran Turismo games. But in terms of the Saturn, I think, what I look at with the Saturn to the to the biggest extent is that it has the Sega Rally Championship, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the rally car game, and it has Daytona USA. And outside of those two games in terms of racing, yeah, it has it has like some some B tier games that aren't bad, like high velocity. It has but, um, it has an arcade perfect port of virtual racing, which that's that's OK. <laughs> If you like virtual racing, I never cared for virtual racing, if I'm being honest. I don't think that's I know a lot of people love it, uh, but it's not something I I really like. Like, would I rather have virtual racing or F-Zero X? I think that's yeah. that's no no comparison. Or would I have virtual racing or Wipeout XL? I, I Which like is I, I go ahead. Interesting, because the Saturn had Wipeout. Well, it had Wipeout, but didn't have Wipeout XL. The original Wipeout is awful. Yeah, I, it's, I think not, it's, it's not a great game at all. No, it's I don't think it's good on the PlayStation either. It's just the PlayStation had the better soundtrack. But if you look at, you know, pound for pound in terms of quality across all three systems, of course, the PlayStation is going to win in essentially every single category except for maybe fighters because of the, you know, the, the cart slot mega uh, memory capability that it did with King of Fighters and, of course, X-Men versus Street Fighter and all those games. Uh like racers are probably one of the Saturn's weakest points. If I, if I had to critique it, which I am. Yeah. Cause like the only other racer that we played was, Oh no, actually I forgot. We played another one, but we'll, we'll get to that after um, mm -hmm. we played NASCAR 98 just because I thought it would be funny. Um, 
Alex played as Dale Earnhardt. I played as Jeff yes. Gordon. Um, and I let him. Alex immediately crashed into the wall. <laughs> yep, I immediately crashed into a wall because I still, even though I knew the exact car I was looking at, I still started looking at bills because I just can't play racing games, apparently. <laughs> well, that's why you were Dale Earnhardt. She was Dale Earnhardt because Dale was her favorite. <laughs> he was my favorite. Oh. And I let him down. I'm a failure. Into a wall. Hey, he would have. He, he, hey, you played At like. At least how I wasn't lived. second. I was. Well, actually, was there more cars than just us? Yeah, it was a full field. Okay, perfect. I wasn't second. That's all that matters. Because second's um, the first to lose. Dun yeah. dun. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, one was first. You're last. <laughs> it's not wrong. Um, it's funny though, like that, that was mostly a joke. We did play one other racing game I want to get into, but before that, I, speaking of racing games, the only other one that I can think of on Saturn that is unique is Gale Racer, if you've heard of that one. I have not. So Gale Racer is a Japan-only racing game that I had to import over. This one is interesting to me because it's a first-person, like, mostly, like, it's like a first person kind of like rally game, but you like the whole gimmick is like you start at the start of the racetrack and you basically have to go over like different terrain through like this long winding course. It, it's like super unique for the time. It's actually based off an arcade game that predates Sonic the Hedgehog, which is really interesting to me. Mm. Um, oh, I know that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with Sonic swinging as a yeah, as, the, a, can, as an ornament. The, yeah, canonically Sonic's first appearance in a video game. Yeah. Um, it, it it was ported to the Saturn, and I find that one very interesting just for what it is. Um, I'm sure there's better games nowadays, but just as a piece of history, I like that one. Uh, Cyber Speedway is another game that you might want to check out. It's very similar to a game like Wipeout, but I, it looks like it controls a little bit better. I own it. I haven't played it. It should. But um, it's, it's supposed to be unique for what it is, hovercraft type of racing game. That's unique mm. to the Saturn because it was published by Sega. Yep. Um, and I, I keep alluding to it, but we have to talk about the other racing game that me and Alex played. Oh, uh, no, because this sounds bad. Because it is arguably the most iconic racing game on the Saturn. Uh, a little game called Sonic R. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, it was, what was the time? I, I especially loved how you just couldn't see where you were going because it, the <laughs> game couldn't. <laughs> Sonic R is... For Saturn 3D standards, it's an okay-looking game, uh, but I was not aware. So I'd never played three like multiplayer Sonic R before. I had no idea that the like the draw distance and like frame rate goes to utter shit when you play multiplayer for Sonic R. Um, we couldn't see anything. Like the draw distance was that bad. Nope. <laughs> so my my ability to run into a wall immediately was tenfold, especially when you just couldn't see where you were going and the controls were terrible. <laughs> but at least we were supersonic racing. We we were, you know, and we had fun. Kind of. I, is, this, is this the time when we talk about how Sega absolutely failed Sonic and probably as a result failed in North America? We could talk With about the Saturn. That. Um, I mean, if you look at racing games in terms of Sonic R, I, 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 some people say it's a hidden gem. I am not one of those people. It does not sound like 
you are either of you are one of those people well, either. It's a hidden I think... gem if you hate yourself and you love sure. pain See, and suffering. I, yeah. <laughs> I view Sonic R the same way I view Sonic 06, where I enjoy playing it, but for the wrong reasons. You hate play it. Oh, it's so fun to just see the wacky, fucked up shit that can happen <laughs> when playing. Sonic R is a fucking weird... Like, they put so much effort into such a shit game, it's actually kind of commendable. I... I believe that. Like, there is, like, so many multiple core... Like, the courses are super, like, expansive. There's, like, multiple paths you can take. Um, there's, like, a whole bunch of hidden content you can find. Unfortunately, the game just controls, like, ass, and it's so bad. Ugh. But yes, but, Sonic on the Saturn. That was. And, and let's 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 talk it was about a time. that. <laughs> but we we have to talk about that because again, to open up this episode, I was talking about how I didn't even know Sonic was. I'm sorry, I didn't even know that the Saturn was coming out. I had no idea, and it took me a while to realize that it did exist. I was more aware of the 32X, and guess what the 32X had. It had a Sonic game. It may not have starred Sonic, but it had a Sonic game. What did the Saturn not have? A Sonic game. And I think what's most critical about all of this is that what what were people craving at when you know, at least kids? They were craving the Nintendo 64. Why were they craving the Nintendo 64? Because they had heard yeah. about Mario 64. Uh the, the PlayStation and, and this goes for the PlayStation too. Uh, I did not know anything about the PlayStation. I didn't even know it came out. I thought it was going to be another like 3DO. No, no, no offense here, Bill, but I thought it was going to flop and burn just like the 3DO and, and Philips CDI did. I didn't understand the appeal because I wasn't like 16, 17 years old. So I didn't, I was not one of those people is being pitched to. Um, so when I, when I was 10, I, I didn't know about either of those two systems. I only knew about the Nintendo 64 and what it was going to offer. I think one of the biggest reasons is because Sonic was, was such an integral part of, of my childhood and a lot of people my age's childhood that a Sega console without Sonic was not really a Sega console or else you, or at least a console you wouldn't pay attention to unless Sonic was on it. Mm. So when a lot of there's a lot of kind of uh the revisionist i won't say revisionist history but to like um what's the word like retrospective history and said if the saturn maybe had a sonic game at launch it could have done better i i don't know about that because i think the only alternative i can think of would be sonic 3d blast and that didn't exactly light the world on fire uh for for various reasons it's a fine game by the way sonic 3d blast and it's it looks really good and, and the soundtrack is really good on the saturn for what best it's special sta- best special stages in the series oh it's so good it's it's oh, the saturn version those special stages are great but not having an original sonic game at launch and then crash bandicoot co- not coming out too much later on the PlayStation having its own mascot. So now you're bringing in all those Sonic kids over to the PlayStation. There's still nothing for the Saturn. And all it has Virtual Fighter 2 when the PlayStation was starting to put out that new freshness with Tekken. It it mm-hmm. made it oh, there there are so many reasons that Sega probably put should have put some effort into getting a Sonic game on there. And so when you say these Sonic games that are there, what you have like Sonic Jam, Sonic 3D Blast, 
uh, Sonic R. And that was it. That, yeah, that's it. And Sonic Jam. By the way, Sonic Jam's really, really good. Sonic Jam uh, is the best Sonic compilation ever made. It's fantastic. In my opinion. I agree. It's it's a fa- really good compilation. But Sonic 3D Blast, it's not a bad game, but it's not what you want for, for a variety of reasons. And you can play it on the Genesis, and you're not getting a different experience, so it's not really next-gen, which was something mm. that was much more important back in 95, 96 than it is today. And Sonic R, which is just a joke, it's a fun joke. It's a joke you you should experience if you haven't. And it's something that you can look back at as kind of like a meme game. But at the end of the day, no one's going to buy a Saturn for Sonic R because it's it's shit. Whenever <laughs> whenever people ask like the question, like when people complain about the Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing series, which amazing kart racing series. Um, they always com- yeah. they complain. They're like, "Why isn't Sonic running? It's dumb." I'm like, "Sonic's not running because they tried that once and it was bad." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, they they know if you played Sonic R, you know why he is not running. And they even you know hand why. they hand wave it in the manual too for uh, Sonic uh, Sonic and Sega All Star Racing because they actually make a point of stating the reason Sonic's in a car is because he wants to give everyone else a fair chance. Yeah, see, it's that's. That's smart world building. I don't care what anyone says. It is. Um, but yeah, going on to Sonic on the Saturn, like, I mean, everyone knows the story about Sonic Extreme and how it was this fabled 3D Sonic game that went through one of the worst cases of development hell I think any game has ever been through. Yeah, most documented, yeah. And I, I'm on the I'm on the side of the argument that says even if that game came out, I don't think it would have helped because I'm not going to lie, that game looked like it would have been a pain in the ass to play. It does. It doesn't look fun. No, not at all. It looks like they were trying to develop more around a gimmick than anything that would have been enjoyable. It also had like two separate games going on because there was like a 3D boss version of it that was completely different from the weird fisheye shit they were doing. They didn't know what to do. And to be honest. The design of the Sonic the Hedgehog series one through three, you know, includes Sonic and Knuckles. The, the way they designed those Sonic games, what do you do with Sonic in a 3D environment? Because it's so based off speed and momentum. It's not like Mario, which is careful platforming, which we all saw just just kind of translated perfectly into the 3D era. You you couldn't have really done that with Sonic. I can't think of a 3D platformer that really, especially, especially from that era. I can't think of a single 3D platformer that incorporated speed and was still a good game. I can't even think mm. of one that incorporated speed. So what do you do? It's it's incredibly difficult. They painted themselves into a corner big time. I mean, th- they couldn't have known, right? I mean, Sonic would 90 or 91. They there's a reason 3D. why there's a reason why everybody's favorite convicted felon, Yuji Naka, told everybody. Um, he basically went <laughs> <laughs> that's a little inside joke for people. Um when uh <laughs> When uh, basically when the team was th- proposing ideas for Sonic Extreme, Yuji Naka basically looked at them and just basically told them, "Good luck," and then that was it. Um, yeah, even he had no faith in this. That's why he made Knights because he knew that like system wasn't ready for Sonic. Actually, Knights plays a lot like a Sonic game. It There's does a lot of Sonic DNA there. Yeah, but he did something like in a style that would work on the Saturn as opposed to whatever the extreme team was 
attempting. Oh, yeah, you cannot make Knights a Sonic game, but it is a Sonic game. Yes. Um, everything about it, uh, like the gameplay loop is different, obviously, but like the core concepts and the speed and, you know, how you collect orbs as opposed to rings, but they, they mean something different. I remember playing that for, for my show, and, and I think I said this during the review, Knights, Knights is just, it's made by the same people that made Sonic. And if you're a fan of Sonic games, you're going to feel at home, especially once you know what to do. And everything just if you made him a blue hedgehog and you made him run on the ground, which you can't do. So that's why you can't make it a Sonic game. But. Like it's it's one of those evolutions. It's a clear evolution from the Sonic formula, and I can understand why at this point, a lot of people do not like the Sonic series because the knights is so simplistic it's not it's not a great game it's an arcade game uh, so, well if you like it you might consider it to be a great game but it is more an arcade game and now you start to see where the real roots of sonic are which is really in that arcade roots that was just kind of brought over to a console that would be hard to put into 3d because of the way that they were attracting people but yeah knights knights is where sonic went unfortunately yuji naka has a really weird way of making games. Look at Balan Wonderland, Wonderworld, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, which has, he does some really weird creative things in that game. And like the signs were there in nights, like just some weird design choices, weird environmental choices that uh, you can see again in Balan Wonderworld uh, that weren't present in Sonic. So I, I no. don't, I don't know. <laughs> we did almost get a 3D Sonic game on the Saturn. Um, yeah. It was it wasn't canceled. It just became a Dreamcast game, um, which was Sonic Adventure. But there is some evidence of the Saturn version still in existence, and that is actually the Sonic World bonus feature of um, Sonic Jam. That was from the that was from Sonic Adventure, the prototype Sonic Adventure. That was basically what they had left over from the early prototype phases of Sonic Adventure's development. They they basically took the remains. Basically, they realized that the the Saturn wasn't going to be the future for this for their company, and they moved over to the Dreamcast. But they had what they basically started left, and they um, essentially took that and made it a little bonus feature for Sonic Jam, which is why that's version why that compilation is so well remembered because it, it's just full of so much love and like attention like sonic was in a very different place at the time he was definitely in a place he was that's, going through a lot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was finding um, out about rule 34 yes oh dear and he was never the same sonic x shadow don't google that <laughs> Don't don't Google Sonic anything. <laughs> let's, let's be real here. Um, but yeah, we're actually getting pretty close to our time. Uh, Alex actually has a hard out for uh, this episode, so we're gonna have to. Oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you guys can continue without me if you if you want. We can't but... do that. We can't do that. <laughs> no, so we'll probably have to talk about the Saturn more at another point. Maybe do like a bonus or something. Um. But I figured um, before we sign off, uh, Chris, do you want to plug all of your uh, your podcasts and everything? Oh, sure. Thank you very much. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I am from the Retro Hangover podcast. 
where my me and my host, co-host Shane, we discuss a game, industry figure, or topic, but usually a game. And we go over a brief history, we discuss our personal experiences, and then we review the game based off its story, its presentation. And then we discuss whether or not the game holds up today, whether or not we think you should play it. And uh, I I think that you would enjoy it. Well, I can't. Uh, let me reset here. And I think if you're a fan of this show, you should go check it out because Bill has been on a couple of our episodes to include Potful Mail. Please go listen to Potful Mail because that game is obscure and you should check out that episode. And I, I can tell from the downloads, it deserves far more from the listeners of Bill's audience. You need to go check that out because he does a fantastic job, a tremendous job, the best job on that episode. He was also on Alone in the Dark. So if you're listening to this, is this coming out in October? Uh, yes, it should be out actually okay. in a couple of weeks. Yes. If you want to hear some spooky episodes of our show, Ooh. Bill is on our Alone in the Dark episode where he talks about that there, which ties into his 3DO experiences to an extent. So, hey, you get the world of the gaming collecting podcast all in the Alone in the Dark episode. If you go over to Retro Hangover, which you can find at linktr.ee slash Retro Hangover, you can find all our stuff there and go there for Bill. No, thanks for coming on, dude. This was fun. Uh, we'll oh, definitely dude, thanks have... for having me. Yes, really thank appreciate you. It. We're definitely going to have to have you on as a guest on our collecting series now that that's uh, going because yes. uh, f- the first episode of that did very well. And honestly, we need more collectors on to talk for uh, <laughs> talk about the crazy hobby we got. But until then, guys, um, once again, thank you for joining us on the Gaming Collecting Podcast. The Gaming Collecting Podcast can be found on all your major podcasting platforms, particularly Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, you can find all of our links at linktree slash the barber who games, and uh, you can join the GNC podcast and discord server where we're all pretty nice there. Alex post course stuff every now and then, and yes. uh, it, it gets a little wild sometimes, but we're all nice there. Kermit. Yeah, that's our Kermit. mascot now for some reason. <laughs> and Grimace. Yeah. But until next time, guys, we will see you all later. Goodbye. No. <laughs>